Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Church Online. It's nice to see you all again. I thoroughly enjoyed our get-together last weekend. It was so good to see everyone's faces in person. I've missed seeing so many of you, and it was nice just to feel that family feel that I love so much about Castle Hill Church. We're really excited to do another church program online today, and we hope you guys enjoy it as well. So I heard his voice as clear as day. It says, time to get moving, Jonah. You've been sat down comfortably for too long. And I've got an important assignment for you. I'd like you to go to the great city that's Nineveh and preach to them because there are a lot of things going on that aren't right and I can't ignore them any longer. And I need you, Jonah, you to go and straighten them out for me. And that was it. And I I looked around half expecting to see someone because I knew it couldn't have been God asking me to do that task. I mean, that was much more than I had ever done before. And this was a big task, a really big task. But there was no one. No one but me. Just me on my own in my little room. Now, I must be going crazy. Did did I fall asleep? Was I dreaming? I got up and I I walked around the room and just to make sure I was awake, but I couldn't shake off that voice and the assignment. I got a bowl of water and I washed my face, just trying to make sure that I really was awake. But the message wouldn't go away. I decided to go for a walk, make some sense of what I'd just heard. And these other thoughts started running through my mind. Go to Nineveh and preach to them. There are things that are going on that are just not right. And I want you, Jonah, you, to go and straighten them out for me. I tried to dissect it each point in turn. First up, Nineveh is a big city. I mean, really big. Everyone who is anyone is in Nineveh. You've got the rich and the famous, the great architects, the scientists, the, arch- the, uh, the musicians, the politicians, everybody, the big statesmen, they're all in Nineveh. And the more I thought about that, the more as though I felt, you know, I don't fit in there. And I'm certainly not someone who naturally mixes with those types of people. I imagine going to Nineveh and saying, everybody, hold up, hold up, what you're doing is wrong. You need to change your ways. People would just look at me and walk by and they're probably thinking, who is this crackpot? And where did he come from? I mean, seriously, how many people would I be able to convert and turn from their wicked ways? And then I wondered, well, how bad are they really? I mean, maybe they're just different. Maybe, maybe they're just more progressive than I'm used to knowing people. Or maybe they just think differently from me. And, you know, is that so wrong? 
Maybe they are just the way of the future, and I'm just an old Luddite stuck in a bygone age, out of touch with modern reality. So I arrive back home, and I try to busy myself, but the thought keeps running back in my mind. Go to Nineveh and preach to them, because there are things that are going on that aren't right, and I can't ignore it any longer. And I need you, Jonah, you, to go and straighten them out for me. And then the thought hit me. Supposing it wasn't God who, to- who said it anyway. I mean, it sounded like the God I knew, but maybe it was my mind playing a trick on me. The reality is, it was the God that I knew, but the message wasn't the message that I wanted to hear. So I started playing the scenarios through in my mind. Well, it's a big, prosperous city. No one will listen to me, so what's the point? I get lost amongst the thousands of people there. And then, if I do go, where would I even start? I don't even know where to go in Nineveh to start preaching. And then I imagined all the people laughing at me. And then they'd invite their friends, come and listen to this guy, he's crazy. And they'd be laughing at me too. What if they decided to lock me up for disturbing the peace? And if they're as bad as God says, what if they try to harm me or even torture me? And the more I thought about it, the more I was convinced that going to Nineveh was a really bad idea. As the thoughts went through my mind, I came to the conclusion that God had made a mistake. Because reality is, the risk wasn't worth the effort. I mean, little old me in such a big city, if I go and preach, how many people would I be able to convert? 10, 20, maybe even 100. If I was lucky, really, really lucky, maybe 1,000. Now, out of a city of 120,000, that's less than 1%. And I doubt very much that that's the sort of conversion rate that God is looking for. In the book, Prophet and Kings, Ellen White says that while he hesitated, still doubting, Satan overwhelmed him with discouragement. The prophet was seized with a great dread and he rose up to flee to Tarshish. Well, the truth is, I actually don't know what went through my mind that told me to run. But it's kind of crazy, but that's what I did. All I knew is I had to get as far away from Nineveh as I possibly could. Maybe, maybe God would look for someone else while I was gone. Maybe by the time I got back, God would have found someone else to go and do the work and he would find something else that's easier for me to do.
And I say easier for me to do because let's face it, that job required someone with authority, someone with presence, someone with the ability to influence a whole nation. Imagine that. Someone with charisma. And that certainly wasn't me. So I packed a small bag of belongings and I headed out. Now, to be fair, I didn't quite know where I was going, but I ended up at the port in Joppa and there was this ship getting ready to leave and it was going to Tarshish. And I figured, well, you know what? That's as far away from Nineveh as I know right now, so why not? As I bought my ticket, the message ran through my mind again. Go to Nineveh and preach to them. There are things going on that aren't right and I can't ignore them any longer. And I need you, Jonah, you to go and straighten them out for me. Well, I pushed that message aside and, and, and more and more I was convinced that it was from God, but I was now in that spiral. You know the kind of spiral that you know it's something you shouldn't do, but you, you get into it and you just can't stop. Once I'd paid my fare and I was on the ship, I actually felt a little bit guilty, quite a bit guilty. And I felt too embarrassed to get into any conversations with anyone in case the reason for my trip came up. Of the people who were traveling, most of them were tradesmen who have just sold all their stuff and they were going back home. Uh, some of them were just going away because they had family and they just finished working in Joppa. They had a good reason. What was mine? Oh, I know. I'm running away from God. How pathetic is that? So once all the cargo had been loaded, I slipped down into the hold and made myself comfortable. Out of sight, out of mind. That's what I thought and I wouldn't have to explain anything to anyone. So let's pause the story for a moment. Do you ever feel as though you're running? What is, what is your Nineveh assignment? What is it that would make, mean it was pushing you outside of your comfort zone? Something that would make you feel exposed and vulnerable? Now, Jonah wasn't the first person to have his Nineveh assignment. Many years before, another individual stood in the presence of God and tried to argue his way out of his Nineveh assignment. At the burning bush, after God spells out the assignment, Moses gave five excuses. Number one, in Exodus 3.11, I'm nobody. How can I go to the king and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And in some ways, I can imagine that's how Jonah felt. I am nobody. How can I go to the king of Nineveh and tell them to repent? And you just heard our praise and worship team sing about uh, um, nobody who has got to tell everybody about someone who saves. And that's exactly what Nona and Jonah were doing. Moses and Jonah were doing, I should say. His second excuse in Exodus 3.13 when I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, they will ask me, well, what's his name? What would I tell them? This is one of credibility. And I'm sure Jonah thought of this too. 
Who gives you the authority to come and tell me what to do? Moses' third excuse in Exodus 4.1. But suppose the Israelites don't believe me and they won't listen to me. What will I say if they, if they say, God didn't appear to you? Excuse number four. No, Lord, don't send me. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a poor speaker. And finally, his fifth excuse, when there was nowhere else to go, Moses finally says in Exodus 4.13, No, Lord, please send somebody else. He just didn't want to go. And to be fair, I could understand Moses. He had killed somebody in Egypt, even though it was some 40 years earlier, and I suspect he wasn't too keen to go back and return and potentially face the consequences of his actions. And I imagine this is where Jonah was at. He felt the assignment just wasn't right for him. It was for someone else. And it's not just Moses who had Nineveh assignments. So did Gideon. So did Noah. And for the ladies, so did Esther. And listen, so many others. And what is your feeling about your Nineveh assignment? Sometimes we feel as though we are nobody and that it should be given to somebody else. It's pushing you too far outside your comfort zone. Someone is pushing in your back and you really don't want to go. Maybe you feel it's just not worth the effort. Back to our story, well, after I dropped down into the hold, I found a sore small spot and I waited for the ship to set sail. It seemed like it took forever. And I often heard voices walking above me and steps towards the hatch above the hold. And for some reason, my heart was just pounding. Almost as if I was expecting someone to come down and say, right, come with me. The Lord says you shouldn't be running away. Off the ship. I know it was crazy, but that was just my state of mind, and I was just so nervous. Well, finally, the ship set sail, and it just gently glided. I could feel it gliding gently out of the harbour, and eventually got out to open sea, and the gentle rocking of the boat just kind of lulled me to sleep. Wake up! Wake up, man! How could you be sleeping through all of this? I was jolted out of my sleep to hear the noise of the rain and the boat, as, and it was listing from side to side, and I immediately felt sick because I wasn't particularly a seafaring person. And how did I manage to sleep through all of this? And the man said, get up and pray to your God. If you've got a God, because ask him to save us because we really need help. I staggered up onto the deck, and while the crew were desperately trying to maintain the course of the ship, I clung onto a rail for dear life, worried that a wave might come and throw me overboard. Some of the sailors were commenting, we've never seen such a big storm at this time of the year. The journey was supposed to be smooth sailing all the way. You're right, commented another. This is out of the ordinary. And it was at that point 
that I started to feel deep down that this was my doing. But all I could do was cling on for dear life. How could I tell them that this was my fault, that I was the one who put their lives at risk? It's possible that they could all die and all because of me. I just looked away and hung on. Then the sailors said to each other, listen, we've got to get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws and, and see who the culprit is. Who's responsible for this? Then it was my turn. Hey, you stranger, it's your turn to draw. Looking the other way, I pretended I didn't hear. Oi, stranger, I said, it's your turn to draw. I looked around and the captain of the ship was glaring at me and I had no option. I dropped to on all, my, all fours and I kind of crawled across to the, where the men were standing, feeling safer on all fours and trying to walk. I nervously drew a straw. It was short. I knew you looked shifty from the moment you came on this ship, the captain said. And then he started the grilling. Right, come on in, fess up. What's going on? Who is to blame? What you're doing here? Which country do you come from? What's your nationality? I told them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and land. So why the storm? They asked. So I paused. It's probably because I'm trying to run away from him and an important assignment that I'm supposed to be on. And they looked at me in amazement and terror. You're doing what? It was at that moment I wished a big wave could have come over and washed me away. I looked down at the deck, felt an inch tall. Every one of them knew the God of the Hebrews. His reputation preceded him. And even they knew that you could never run away from God. And as a Hebrew, how could I be so incredibly stupid? So, what do we need to do to stop the storm? They asked me. I guess if you were to throw me into the sea, it would calm down. I said, listen, I know it's my fault. Uh, and I think the best way for you to save the ship is to throw me overboard. So now the, sa the, the, the sailors are caught in a quandary. How could they throw someone overboard? That went against everything a sailor was taught. And certainly not someone who served a God who was potentially angry at them for helping me to try and get away. So they tried to row to shore and they were pulling against the oars, but the storm was just getting worse and worse. And they were in danger of losing the ship. So they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. And then they took me and they threw me overboard. Are you feeling as though 
you're experiencing your storm. A storm that's chasing you down because of your reluctance to take on your Nineveh assignment. Now, it may not be as tumultuous an event like Jonah's. Maybe it's just a more gentle nagging or something that's constantly pulling you and trying to say, you know what, you really ought to be doing this. You really ought to be, you should be doing something different. Are you feeling as though you are a a nobody who wants somebody else to do your Nineveh assignment for you? Here's a few points from Moses' story. When Moses says, I am nobody, how can I go to the king of Israel and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, don't worry, I will be with you. How good is that? You know, the God of the universe is with you, doing your assignment with you. You can't possibly fail. That is a high distinction right there. Moses, when he said, what if they don't believe me or listen to what I have to say? In Exodus 4, uh, verses 2 to 9, God shows him a whole raft of things that just demonstrate his power. The power behind him that will help him succeed. And then when Moses says, but I'm not not a good speaker, God says in Exodus 4.12, go, I will be with you and I'll help you to speak. I will tell you what to say. How could he fail? How could you fail? Now, To be fair, it's easy for me to stand up and say this to you in reality. We're all facing the same challenges. We all have difficulties taking on our Nineveh assignments. But I keep coming back to that promise that God gave Moses. Go, I will help you to speak. I will tell you what to say. How can I fail? Here's some final words from Jonah. Now, I don't know what your Nineveh assignment is. It may not be as dramatic as mine, but I suspect it's every bit as daunting for you. The thing to remember is that every day that I preached to Nineveh when I got there, God was with me, guiding me, supporting me, and he didn't let me down, and he won't let you down. And in fact... The outcome was too good to be true. So true, in fact, that, well, that's another story for another time, if you have the time. Let's pray. Father God, we are all accountable to you for a particular aspect of the story of this world. There is a piece of the puzzle that we are responsible for, that is unique to us and is most effective if we are the ones that put it in place. How often? However, we're often the ones that are reluctant to take it on because it's outside of our comfort zone. It makes us nervous, makes us afraid, afraid to fail, afraid of what others might think, afraid because it's not the plan or the path that we had in mind. 
even though we may have been reluctant in the past, thank you so much that you're willing to give us a second, a third, a fourth chance when we disappoint or run away. And I love how you say to Jonah the second time, now up you get Jonah and get over to Nineveh, as though you'd completely forgotten the fact that he had just run away. In Isaiah 41 verse 10, you tell your people, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, just before his death, Moses encourages the people of Israel before they have their Nineveh assignment at the edge of the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for I, the Lord, go with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. And then in Joshua 1 verse 9, God reiterates the same message to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father God, we claim those promises today as each one of us steps out into unknown territory on our Nineveh assignment, knowing without a doubt, without a doubt, that you are traveling by our side and we are guaranteed success, is my prayer. Amen.